the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I've been informed that I've been saying good morning for the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, once you get into a rut. Anyway, I, I had several really good quotes this week. But let's start out. Since last Monday we were off because of uh, Dr. King, let's uh, use one of his. We must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. I thought this one was real, this one of my favorites from Maryland French, by the way. Uh, men stumble over pebbles, never over mountains. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? The man who can drive himself further once his effort gets painful is the man who will win. And he should know that was Roger Bannister. He broke the four-minute mile. Fall seven times, stand up eight. That's the Japanese proverb. I always say uh, uh, the Chinese proverb or Confucius always said, it uh, doesn't matter how many times you fall down, it's how many times you get up that's important. And it's the truth. And life can be like that sometimes. Anyway, um, you know, we always talk about uh, our web page. And if we go to WHK 1420 AM, there you have uh, local podcasts. And if you go down local podcast to Tim Hayes, uh, you can get my web page. You can actually call me. I I picked up the phone a couple times last week. There was one gentleman who called me who I I got back to. I I missed him, I guess, though. But the number is 888-223-7742. But if you go to local podcast, my web page shows up. So if you want like our top ideas, our our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, our uh, best ideas for 2020, that type of thing, please let me know. We also have the um, Savvy Investor's Credit Handbook and our global income ideas, which I think are really good. Um, by the way, uh, what we usually do is set you up on our, uh, our lists so that you get any emails I send out. And also, we also send out a newsletter. And for February, it... It's tips for targeting your retirement savings goal. The SECURE Act offers new opportunities for individuals and businesses, just so you know. And closing gaps in your insurance coverage. Uh, Insurance is important, folks, and I've had a couple clients find out the hard way just recently. Um, So there we go. Uh, Remember, that's WHK 1420 AM. You know, air travel is at an all-time high right now, and uh, infrastructure-wise, airports are not equipped to handle it. Uh, airlines transported 4.3 billion passengers around the world in 2018, an increase of 38 million compared to the year before. Most American airports are constructed to handle the massive crowds that they currently attract. Uh, are, are not constructed, I'm sorry. Uh, the last major U.S. Inter, uh, international airport was Denver, was built more than two decades ago. Hmm, that's a long time. Millennial women are more likely to out-earn their partners than boomer women. Uh, that's twenty with twenty three percent of the millennial women reporting that they earn more money than their partner. Uh, go girls, go! Um, the off talked about one percent hold almost five percent of the total personal debt in America. So not only do they own the wealth, but they own the debt too. So don't forget that. Um, you know, I, I was looking, and some people uh, asked me what I saw as some major themes and. Uh, Here's some. I, I stole some from Guggenheim. I stole some from uh, uh, Lori Calcivino, who's our head strategist. I stole some from a lot of people. So these are just the ones I thought were the best. Uh, household net worth gains will support consumption this year, I think. Uh, mostly because if you have any money in a 401k, you know, they. I just read something the other day, and this has been going ongoing for a while now. The average 401k is 70% in fixed income with an average yield of 3.2%. Probably a total return of about 4%. How are you going to retire on that? All right. There is more cash in 401ks 
than there has been at any one time in the history of the of four hundred one ks. So those are two. If you don't think there's fuel for the fire, if you don't think the stock market can go higher, there's a reason. I think low rates will underpin housing, uh, and I've been talking about housing valuations, and I talked about housing back in the spring and the summer. Uh, the pace of the Fed balance sheet expansion will slow, meaning they. Uh, I don't think you're going to see quantitative tightening or easing. I mean, uh, there's going to be a tight labor market, and it will further depress corporate uh, profit margins because they're going to have to pay up. I think corporate defaults may rise as debt burdens uh, weigh on credit. And I'm going to talk about that in, in, in my fixed income side. And credit ratings downgrades will add headwinds to the, the business investment. And the, the Fed's soft landing theory will be tested. Um, you know, interest rates are dropping, which means co- copper is getting whacked. You know, uh, something, uh, consumer confidence will hinge on the health of the labor market and historic uh, in inequality will fuel support for unorthodox, uh, unorthodox policy uh, proposals, and the 2020 election will influence the economy in an unprecedented way. Those are some of my thoughts. Um, you know, I was looking at uh, uh, Jeffrey Gunlock, and you know, for his 2020 uh, thought process, he was thinking that we'd have a steeper yield curve. Well, the 10-year Treasury has broken down out of a triangle pattern, which is. Uh, not there, but he also talked about gold will be up, and he thought inflation will be subdued, uh, and he thought there's a thirty to thirty five percent chance of a of a recession. Now, look, one of the things that our people are talking about is the corporate bond market um, has come a long way, and the spread between it and the treasury bonds is at an all time low or near an all time low. So they were looking for some suggestions. You know, we talked about preferreds last summer. One of the things that we talked, we, we were thinking about uh, was what they call taxable municipal bonds. You know, most municipal bonds are tax-free. And, you know, Ohio municipal bonds are tax-free from both federal and state tax. But um, taxable municipal bonds have a much higher spread uh, over the corporate, you know, A corporate bonds or AA corporate bonds, uh, almost about 50, 60 basis points. So, um you know, I have a list of them that look really, really good. And uh, so if you like that information, uh, I believe uh, that's client approved or, or even non-client approved. So here's a couple of statistics, which I thought were really interesting. 14% of the U.S. citizens are illiterate. Now, if you want a way to get rid of inequality, Tim Hayes thinks that's the way to do it. It's that simple. Um, here's another thing. You know, everybody complains about millionaires and billionaires. For every billionaire that is developed, there's 110 millionaires that are developed. For every millionaire that is developed in this country, 250,000 people come out of poverty. Who says capitalism doesn't work? Once again, I, I talked about the presidential futures. The Democratic candidate is still uh, below its uptrend line, uh, had a nice run in a column of O's. The Republican is way above its uptrend line, was in a column of O's and reversed back up just recently. So, so far, the impeachment process has been positive for the, the Republicans. Um, the general trend of the presidential, by the way, this is from a, uh, from Iowa, where they actually have real money. You can bet real money on the presidency. And they started about two, three years ahead of time. But the general trend of the president has been moving lower after it peaked at, at 80 for, for the Republicans. Uh, the general trend for the Democrats has, has not really turned around. It's been negative. So, um, look, the futures market uh, provides some helpful context on how events in the current election cycle affect demand for an individual policy, but it, it's all, also important to understand how events of the past elections have influenced returns in domestic equity markets, and that's something you got to think about. Um, if you look, and I think this is important, it, in election years, okay, uh, the Dow Jones has averaged about an 8% return um, if, if it's a Republican scenario, and it's averaged about 6.7 in a Democratic. The, the standard poor or election years, you've seen uh, about a 6.7% return. And then uh, non-election years have been about a 62 And then in the NASDAQ, it's been much lower in election years and much higher in non-election years. 
So remember that. Also, the returns on the Democratic average when when they've won has been 12 percent. Um, and, and it's been about 2 percent for a Democrat. For a Republican, again, it's been almost 11 percent for a Democrat. The Standard Poor's has been about three and a half. And then the NASDAQ, they're. The Democrats went out on that one. It's been about 8%, and it's only been about 5 for the Republicans. Uh, when an incumbent party uh, is reelected, uh, the same party, we have a big rally usually, uh, 14%, 15%. When the other party is elected, it's usually a negative scenario on the Dow Jones. On the S&P, it's a, like a 10% gain with a 1% gain for the incumbent. For the NASDAQ, it's about a 13% gain with just a half a percent gain. So remember that. Uh, you know, despite low interest rates, investors continue to search for yield uh, by allocating to bonds. However, astute investors know how to look where others aren't. And as, as, as you look, the S&P 500 yield, less bond yield, has been pretty significantly in the favor of the S&P 500. You know, the S&P 500's yield is 5.4% versus the BBA yield of 3.9%. So investors are paying a big pre- premium for bonds. They're getting taxed at regular income. And... Uh, equities are actually doing better uh, on the yield side. You know, um, Lori Calcimina had a conference call this week, and it was pretty good. She talked about her large-cap fund holdings, and she thought that uh, a lot of these things were uh, – it's a pretty crowded scenario, okay? And uh, she said her, her philosophy on crowding um, – Crowding names, most active managers are usually crowded for a reason. They're very good fundamentals usually. That being said, we still think positioning is a risk factor worth worth monitoring. We note that most of the crowded baskets in large cap, long-only funds uh, lagged in 2016 when the growth trade experienced a sustained breakdown. So she said you got to be careful on, on that. And, uh, you know, economic growth can uh, ebb and flow, and, and investor sentiment can change basically daily, but – if you look at there's a, some of the pioneering work out there. Dan Chung uh, talked about uh, some of the the Nobel Prize winners, and they talked about several of these guys thinking over multiple decades. Uh, they, they they thought there was a lot of technology that could outperform, like lithium ion, lithium ion batteries, you know, stuff like that. So uh, there's there's going to be, I think, growth for some time to come. All right. Um, I did notice this week. You know, I've been talking. You know, utilities have been lagging. Utilities and real estate both broke out and are are basically one box away from an all-time high. Uh, Also, mid-caps broke out. Uh, They're still not at an all-time high. Uh, I'm sorry, mid-caps are. Small caps are not. Uh, Small caps are still pretty far away. So it's been a large-cap scenario. By the way, mid-caps just broke out this week. So um, you're you're looking at uh, a scenario where large caps have been leading the way. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, now, I did notice that, uh, you know, some of the first trust products, especially their alpha decks, have broken a spread triple top, which is usually very positive. So when they pull back, that's a, an ETF that you might want to take a look at. Uh, do your own homework, though. We'll be right back. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Stay tuned. back uh you know i want to make note that this week you know i talked about this triangle pattern that uh, bonds broke out of last broke down out of last week and um one of the things that our portfolio managers talked about uh because we do have the ability to you know actively allocate uh uh portfolios with either etfs or 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 stocks but one of the things they did uh is that they they moved out of the banking group? Okay, so they liquidated uh, their their regional bank uh, position and moved it into cash. Um, they also decreased uh, their ESG portfolios a little bit and increased cash. So they, their their thought process: while well, banks continue to trade at a multiple below historical averages on an absolute and relative basis, uh, these averages have crept lower as banks continue to underperform. One of the things is is interest rates. You know, they need interest rates. You know, the higher, the bigger the spread, the more money the banks are making. So the spread's deteriorating again. So that's that's it was probably a pretty good, uh, you know, reasoning. Now, one of the things I've been noticing the last week or so 
is the number of phone calls I get. And um, usually um, people are calling me with what crazy ideas. So what I'm suggesting is the masses are growing too bullish. And I smell a short-term top. <laughs> now, I've been talking about this top for a while, and it started to happen this week. We had, you know, uh, we're still up for the month. So if we get through next week, remember, uh, well, I'll talk about the January effect in a minute here. But uh, look, uh, in case you haven't seen it, I, may, I, I, I talked about the S&P 500 uh, that I thought, you know, well, if you've been in my office, I talked about 4,000 on the S&P 500 at the end of the year. And it may have looked really crazy six months ago, but it's not so crazy anymore. So I think we could get there. Um, but one of the things, I don't know if you've seen the put-to-call ratio right lately, but uh, everybody's buying. I mean, look, when this thing's above one, it's very bullish. Uh, it's below, it was at 4.67 uh, this week. So that is usually, uh, I, I think there's only been two readings lower in the past 15 years. So everyone's buying calls is what I'm saying. Now, so all of a sudden, no one believes the market can go down. And <laughs> look, that, that's when you want to say, look out below. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Okay, so uh, notice that the red arrows don't, uh, I, I mean, notice that these don't, exp- uh, when, when we get down here, I'm looking at a chart. Uh, the red arrows don't show uh, a scenario where you get a crash. Uh and I, I don't think you should get too bearish, but I do think it's going, there's going to be a hard, fast correction. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, I, I was looking at the semiconductor group, which is where there's been a lot of call buying, a lot of call buying. So I think you want to be a little bit more careful uh, on this, with the semiconductors, in Tim's humble opinion. Um, you know, and I was looking at the dollar index, and it's been rising the last few sessions, and I kind of suggested that it would rise for a while. And um, I think it's at a pretty critical junction, and uh, which whichever way it breaks may have implications for commodities, golds, uh, the relative performance of international markets to equities, you know, that type of thing. So um, we're, we're right. You know, if it starts to break down here, that would, I, I would think, you know, you go long commodities, you go long international stocks. If it continues to go sideways to up, uh, then you then you got a bit of a problem on your hands, but uh, I, I think you know we go back to the growth stocks. But I, I just I mean I'm I'm looking at some of the charts and some of the growth stocks, and I just can't see uh, how some of those things can continue to go up. But um, look, if I looked at the U.S. doctor dollar, uh, you know, well, I guess the. Uh, if I look at what is known as a currency diffusion indicator, uh, this thing's very, very oversold, uh, but it's still declining. <laughs> so uh, th- that means it could be close to a buy signal unless the currency's in a bear market. And if it starts a bear market, that's a whole different story, okay? So just something to think about. Um, I would say, boy, we have a very healthy prognosis for healthcare. <laughs> uh, it looks great. I mean, it really does. Uh, healthcare broke out. Now, it could pull back, uh, but I would use the pullback to buy. Remember, healthcare went down from basically, uh, I mean, well, my eyes aren't that good anymore. Uh, you know, from 2000, the begin, midway through 2017, uh, they went down to sideways. Biotech has been in a downtrend since 2015. And if it were to break out, I think, you know, the big biotechs have to lead. And I don't think they're not doing it yet. But the healthcare providers look really, really good. Pharmaceuticals, medical equipment, biotech, medical supplies, the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, I mean, they all look pretty good on any kind of pullback. I think you want to buy them. Um, now, the biotech index is right at a critical junction. So if it were to break out, which I think, and I'm kind of betting on right at the moment, yeah, look, a lot of these biotechs have big time uh, dividends. You can't fake a dividend, folks. You can't fake a dividend. So if they were to break out, this would be the first breakout going back to 2015. Uh, that would be huge, I think. The medical equipment area looks good. There's one or two exceptions there. Medical supplies did break out. They they were in a long, drawn-out thing. So uh, healthcare is a place where I think you really want to be, uh, you know, could be a good RX for your portfolio. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm tripping all over myself today. 
Anyway, um, I, I looked internationally, and I was I was trying to look at you know rotational graphs and stuff like that, and and Brazil and and Russia are both showing some promise, and I'm not exactly sure why, uh, but I think that's something you know uh, you have to do your own homework for. Um, now, I did you know look Russia's run up a lot, so I don't think you want to be chasing it, but on the next you know downtrend maybe, uh, and Brazil's at the top of its. You know, uh, you know, we talked about uptrends where you draw a line on the higher lows and the higher highs. Well, it's at the top end of its trend line, so you want to wait a little bit. But, uh, you know, they are looking interesting. Uh, there's there's quite a few of the ETS, and I'm just talking about some ETS. I'm looking at a lot of them. The other thing I noticed, uh, look, I'm looking at small caps, and we're getting – I think they're getting ready for their day in the sun. That's Tim's Tim's opinion. Now, yeah, uh, you, you really need some of the, you know, for the Russell to break out, you really need some of the small banks to break out. And on, and on some of them were doing great up until Friday. Uh, but we'll see what happens. But I, I, I've been noticing a lot of the small cap, uh, small cap in almost every uh, scenarios have been looking pretty good. So uh, uh, there's been some semiconductor companies. There's, uh, you know, one in particular that looks really good. So we'll just, we'll leave it at that. You want some of those names, call me. So look, weekly momentum uh, is beginning to peak, uh, and I and I suggested that there would be a correction. I think it could be a hard, fast correction. Um, so you know you got to pay attention when look when you start seeing copper and oil break down, and then bond yields break down. Uh, maybe things aren't going as well as you'd like them to. The other thing I noticed is the, the relative strength index, the RSI, crossed over seventy five. That's a pretty high rating. And, uh, you know, usually when that occurs, by the way, history points to returns uh, 10 weeks later. Uh, but usually there's some kind of a little bit of a, you know, uh, a bang-up period, shall we call it. And high beta is uh, peaking, too, I think, uh, to a certain degree. I'm seeing, I saw a lot of charts on Friday rally up, hit a new high, and then rally, and then get hit on high volume. That's not a good sign, I don't think. So I do think we're going to have a... A sell-off, and I, I do, I, I keep thinking that there will be a uh, a period of time coming up here where uh, the value stocks uh, will take off. But for now, you know that's not the case. So, look, um, this if you tested when the S and P five hundred weekly went over seventy five on the relative strength, uh, usually you had a pretty good. Uh, well, I mean, the S&P 500 was higher, about 74% of those instances were the 10 weeks uh, later by about 2%. So that's that's a good sign. Uh, now, high beta versus low beta, uh, you know, we had a tactical pullback in the in the uh, low beta area. Uh, it might be a cyclical low. We might have, you know, a couple, three of those that we've seen in the past. But growth is still kicking uh, values, uh, you know what, and, and we'll just leave it at that. I'm not really sure what to, to say about that. It's 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 a tough scenario, um, because uh, value started to pick up and international started to pick up, but that was when the dollar was to, was falling. So uh, you know, right now the dollar is rallying. So they're they're going right back to where they came. Now uh, there's a couple things. Staples, which had been you know kind of underperforming for a while. Uh, and look, I'm looking at relative performance versus the S&P 500 now. And utilities have been underperforming, and they broke out this week. Staples broke out. And then healthcare broke out a couple weeks ago. So, um, you know, financials have been bottoming and, and then kind of died two days in a row this week. So it'll be interesting to see what's going on. Now, the, the problem with the market, as I see it right now, is the advanced decline line is getting weaker. So technology is going, you know, straight up. And we have weakening financials, uh, consumer discretionary, that's i.e. retail, uh, industrials, materials, oils. Uh, that's usually not a setup for a huge, huge move up, okay? And and I think that, you know, that's something that uh, you have to pay pretty close attention to, okay? So, uh, look, there's, there's another thing you have to be thinking about right about now, and um, that is the January barometer, you know, don't like I said, don't get too bearish. But after uh, the market closed on Wednesday, there there were six trading days left in January. Thus far, the S and P five hundred is up about two point eight percent. I didn't count Friday in, so that probably took about a half a percent off. 
Uh, as January goes, so goes the year. And so that suggests that the first month of the year has a way of foreshadowing the performance for the whole year. As goes the first day, as goes the first week, as goes the first month. The idea is that uh, January brings a gain for the market. The rest of the year will follow suit and end positively. And by the way, uh, if the market is down for the month of January, the adage warns a loss for the year is likely. So the adage uh, held true last year is the market gained 7.8% in January, which is huge. We have 28% for the year. However, we have to go back to 2018 to find the last time the barometer was wrong. Uh, what's interesting is this, is that when the S&P 500 records a gain in January, it is recorded a gain for the full year 88% of the time. The average return for years starting with a positive January is 16.6%. Uh, when the S&P is down in the month of January, it's finished down for the full calendar year 52% of the time. And the average return for the year starting with a negative January is negative 2.3%. The barometer has been right either to the upside or downside, about 74% of the time. So the next couple of days will be telling. <laughs> so stay tuned. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about the bullish percent. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Okay, we're back. Just tuned in. This is Smart Investor Show. Look, uh, last week, Dow uh, Jones celebrated a significant milestone when it crossed above the 2,900 mark for the first time. Recall that Dow first closed above 28,000 November 15th, 2019. That was a whopping two months ago. So it just took two months to rally 3.5%. Uh, the recent duration of 61 days marks the sixth fastest 1,000-point move for the index since 1972, and the fastest 1,000-point run recorded since January 17th of 2018. Remember, 2000, 2000, uh, January 31st was the top in the market of 2018 for about two, almost two years. When it took the Dow just 13 days, to, it went from 25,000 to 26,000. Uh, the average number of days is taken across from 1,000 points uh, is about 613 days. So it's almost two years. So um, th things are changing. <laughs> um, however, I just want to let you know that when we move that thousand points, what happens the next hundred days? It's, we've averaged a 5.8% return and we've had only two real negative turn returns. Uh, well, actually I would say two flat returns. Uh, the rest of them have been positive. So, uh, very, very good. Now we're going to talk about the bullish percent here in a minute, but I had a question from uh, Al, and he said, uh, Tim, what's your opinion on Boeing? And as you know, on this show, I do not offer opinions. Uh, I give you ideas on, on the markets, and, and uh, it's up to you to make your own decisions. I would just suggest that, uh, you know, on a point-and-figure chart, it's broken down, it's below its uptrend, uh, downtrend line. So, uh, the, you know, the problem with Boeing is if they ever get the 737 flying again, it's going to go straight up. Sorry, couldn't resist it. Uh, it's going to fly. You know what I mean? Uh, and if they don't, you got a problem for a while. So just think of it that way. So I, I think, you know, um, you know, if you own Boeing and you're down on it, you might want to take a tax loss and, and buy like a e uh, defense ETF. That way you can get, uh, you know, you can be on board <laughs> when it takes off again uh, and you can take the tax loss. Okay. So uh, now look, uh, there are several ETFs in that area that look great, and that's all I'll say. All right, uh, you got to find your own. Now, uh, we talk about the bullish percent on the show quite a bit, and and the bullish percent is our risk gauge. And you know uh, what it, what it is was designed uh, by a, a protege of Charles Dow in the twenties, late twenties, um, and all it wanted to be is bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. So it goes from zero to one hundred. When you get over seventy, that's a red zone. That's when every, you know, things are too hot to handle. People are chasing stocks, you know, doing crazy stuff. When it's below 30, nobody wants to open their 401k statement. No one, you know, no one wants to talk to me. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the Maytag repairman, whatever you want to call me. Um, but it's, it's probably the best time to buy. Now, also, you know, we look at X's and O's here because this is point and figure charts. The X's, uh, we have the offensive team in the field. O's, we have a defensive team on the field. Now, uh, we also take one, one step further and we do a vote. We do relative strength uh, point and figure charts on 
what is the best asset class. Right now, domestic equities are still the best asset class as of now, as of today. Okay. So uh, that changes. Back in 2008, they were the lowest form of life. Okay. They had the lowest relative strength score. Matter of fact, I think they were negative. So we knew that the money market and bonds would outperform stocks. International stocks were right next to them, by the way, and so were commodities and currencies. So the point is domestic equities are number one. We're in a column of X's, but we're at 64.7%. We're very close to that 70%. Okay. Now that could last another three, four months on the upside, but you just got to think differently now. Don't chase stocks, especially the bigger ones. Now the small caps are at 54.8%. That's a place where you can still chase stocks. All right. World stocks are at 519 they're all in a column of X's. That's a big positive. But look, we're overbought. What does overbought mean? Have, have investors missed the boat? Or, you know, look, uh, if you go back in time, Statistics 101 class and discussion regarding distributions and bell-shaped curves, think of the 10-week uh, trading band as a normal distribution for a stock or an index where the middle of the 10-week trading band is the middle of the bell curve. This is where stocks want to trade, Okay. Uh, the top of the 10-week training band is 100% overbought, and obviously the bottom is 100% oversold. So, you know, look, when we say we're plus 40% level, uh, you know, which is pretty high, you know, last February, this indicator turned to 52%. Just last week, we hit the 40%, okay? So, you know, it, it's something that you have to watch very closely, and uh, what happens usually is we we distribute certain stocks that are overbought back to the market, and uh and then they find somebody else, to, something else to buy. So, um, you know, look, when it's moved over 40%, this indicator's moved over 40%, the average six-month return after that is 5.67%. Okay, so it's not that terrible. I think we've had one, one maybe two down times out of uh, the 35 that have, uh, 25 that have occurred. I'm sorry. So, Look, the Dow looked good. It's been positive for a couple weeks. The QQQ has been positive for six weeks. The SPY and the XLG, which are the big, big stocks, have been positive for 13 weeks, while the small caps have been negative for three weeks and and one week. So, um, you know, if you look at the NASDAQ composite, uh, you know, back in October when we we started talking about, uh, you know, it, it turning up, you know, it was at 305, it's at 375. That, folks, is, you know, that kind of defines the melt-up I was talking about. So, uh, you know, it's getting interesting now. We, we, now, we still held on to 19 uh, favored sectors. Remember, we do the bullish percent for sectors, too. Uh, but the average sector is 58.5% now. Remember, that was, you know, back in October, that was 34. So it's made a big move, and... Look, sector's a little bit different from, from the overall thing. It's rare they get to 70. So they get to 64, 65, they usually turn back. So we're just going to talk about the the most favored sectors, and we're going to talk about the most overbought here because we're going to start at you know in 80 at this point and move our way down, okay? So at 80 is gaming. Uh, gaming got beat up a little this week, so it might be shaking a little bit. You want to definitely wait on those at 80. Semiconductors, electric utilities are at 75. You definitely want to wait on those. Machinery's at 70. I'd still wait. Uh, business products and forest and paper products is 65. So you know you want to you want to wait on those two. At 60 are electronics, transportation, uh, restaurants. Uh, I'm sorry, retail, uh, computers, leisure, waste management, and building. Uh, and at 55, now this is where it starts getting interesting. You can buy some of these restaurants, real estate. And healthcare, and then biotech and drugs. So biotech was not favored; it became favored. And then oil is at forty, even with oil breaking down. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see. I I did notice that finance went into bull confirmed status, and uh, metals non ferrous. The media group. I mean, there's a lot of media stocks that are trading at five, six, seven, eight times earnings. You know, cheap and oil service and telephones went into bull confirmed status. So they're not favored yet. So, you know, they're, they're a second, second citizen, if you will. Uh, but uh, I did notice uh, that health care went to the most favored status. You know, that, that goes with what we said earlier today. Restaurants were at most favored, so they're just favored now. And business products moved to favored. And then uh, Internet, which had been unfavored, moved to favored. And steel moved uh, from favored to uh, down a little bit here. So, um, look, the international equities... Uh, 
you know, if you look at these, look, we use dynamic asset level investing to identify strength uh, across various markets, equity, you know, currencies, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And so what you want to do is see how the, how the group is doing towards the money market, which is important. And uh, international equities had been, their cash rate had been over 30 for most of the time. Now it's down to 23. So people are, are leaning towards international equities and they're, they're getting rid of their cash. They're buying more uh, international equities. And it's the lowest uh, it's been since June of 2018 when we had kind of a nice rally. Now, the other thing I noticed is the 10-year Treasury yield uh, printed an additional zero on the uh, charts. Uh, so what I'm seeing is is a lot of the bonds are breaking out, which wasn't really in the cards, I don't think. Uh, you know, I wasn't expecting. I thought uh, bond yields would, would uh, maintain or, or inch up a little bit. But it does look like the bond yields are coming down. The bond prices are going back up. Somebody asked me about uh, five ideas in the fixed income area. Um, I've got a great first trust portfolio if you like it. Uh, so give me a call if you want that. Uh, it's 888-223-7742, by the way, if you want to talk to me on the phone. That's 888-223-7742. Uh, that doesn't matter if you're in Ohio or wherever. I Look, uh, I noticed in commodities, uh, crude oil uh, broke down into negative momentum. Gold's still positive. Um, copper broke down. And uh, corn is, is still going up. But with oil and copper falling and bond yields going down, it doesn't bode well for the economy right at the moment. That's my my opinion. The Silver Trust, uh, which had had been in in a had broken its downtrend line, uh, is forming a bearish signal reversal. If it breaks, I think it was seventeen and a half. Uh, that would be very positive. And then we talk about relative strength. We always talk, every week we talk about relative strength. And uh, relative strength is just a measure of how your stock is performing when compared to something else. In this case, the S&P 500 equal weight, not the capitalization weight. Um, so each stock's closing price is divided by uh, the equal weight index, and that gives you the decimal number, and you can figure out which, which is what, okay? Uh, so here's the stocks moving to a relative strength buy signal. These are important because this is a good, I- good scenario for ideas. Activity uh, Health, Build-A-Bear Workshop. Builders First Source, Novavax, Magnachip Semiconductor, 21 Vianet, uh, Mallincroft, which is a much aligned uh, pharmaceutical, Fate Therapeutics, uh, Minerva Neurosciences, and Redfin, uh, which we have a great report on, by the way. Moving to a sell signal, look, I, I, I don't think you want to just jump out the window on these. <laughs> you want to make sure uh, when you have a sell signal that you go back and look over the fundamentals. Uh, sometimes there may be just a big seller. I've seen some of these, you know, move to a sell signal and then get acquired. So, you know, just some things to think about. Uh, Carpenter Technology, uh, Asina Retail Group, U.S. Ecology, CVR Energy, Atu Ubanco Holdings, it's a Brazilian bank, Prosterity Bank Shares, and Novos Maritime LP. So those, uh, those are areas where, you know, you want to be a little bit more careful. You know, one of the things I have noticed with the relative strength buy and sell signals is there doesn't seem to be a sector theme yet, meaning there is no one sector where there's a whole lot of things. There seems to be enough buys and sells in both cases where we can't make that distinction. So something to think about. Hey, we'll be right back with Insider. Stay tuned. Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Um, you know, we, well, let me, let me just go back. If you would like to sit down and, and have a conversation about your portfolios uh, or like some, you know, you want to start a wealth plan. You know, most of the people that get frightened are the people who haven't made a plan. And when the market starts to sell off, they get crazy and, and it's the end of the world and, uh, but if you have a plan, that's important. Now, what we have is a wealth plan that is it's digital, okay? So you can go on your computer and play what-ifs. You know, what if we have another 2008? By the way, on this show, 
we kind of stepped out of that market. We to- told everybody, hey, uh, you know, cash will outperform stocks over the next year. We said it for a year and a half, as a matter of fact. People thought I was crazy, but, and by the way, uh, uh, the first week of March, I said we were probably at a generational low. All right, so not only can you change your, your portfolio, but you can you can see what happens, you know, if the worst case occurs, okay? How your plan's going to, if it's going to make it or break it, okay? So if you go to WHK 1420 AM and uh, go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes, Smart Investor Show, you can go directly to my webpage. And if you want to set up an appointment, there's contact me, email me, or just call me. <laughs> You know, everybody has a cell phone, 888-223-7742, 888-223-7742. But anyway, we talk about insiders a lot. And the reason we talk about insiders is simply because they know, they know better than we do. Okay. They know what's going on. At the, you know, they sit in on the board meetings. They know what the, the doctors are doing. They know what the, you know, look, I, I was just, I was just talking to some guy. He said, what, what happened in 2018? I said it was the worst year for insiders ever. But now some of those insiders are starting to get paid off. <laughs> some of those names that, that they bought up and then they came down, they're starting to turn around. And, uh, and some of them are starting to make a lot of money. So they were early. Yes, they were. And the stock market went against them. But they're, I think they're going to be right in the long run. So just uh, look, we only look for the big ones. You've got to remember that they're very early. You got to remember that you got to do your own homework on the stock. Uh, you also got to remember that they sell for a lot of reasons. They buy for one. Okay, people buy stocks to make money. They sell them because they want to buy a Porsche, they want to buy a house, they want to, you know, they got a kid going to college, whatever it may be. So here we go. The first one is RTW Investments. Uh, they're pretty good sized beneficial owner of Milestone Pharmaceuticals. Mist is a symbol. And they bought uh, 270,000 shares at 16 and a quarter. That's about a $4.3 million investment. And they, they finished up with 4.228 uh, million shares, which is about 18% of the company's holdings. And then uh, PBF Energy, I don't know what's going on here. They, you know, they, they were buying it up a couple weeks ago. Stock got up to 24, uh, I mean, 34. They were buying it around 30. And this went straight up, came straight back down, and at 28, they stepped up and bought another $6.7 million worth. Uh, so they continue to buy. Also, Trinity Services, which is, you know, the company that builds railroad cars that deliver oil. Uh, uh, Brandon Boys, again, bought another uh, two, $2.6 million worth. Um, and and oh, I'm sorry, there was two purchases of PBF. There was another $14.4 billion. A million uh, bought also. And then uh, another one was J.P. Morgan. Uh, remember we had last week, we had a, a one of the board members buy uh, about $1.9 million. Uh, it backed off a little bit more this week. And another board member uh, bought $5.1 million worth of stock. So uh, I'll just say this. It, the insiders at J.P. Morgan have been pretty right. So it'll be interesting uh, it seems they seem to be pulling back after a really good quarter. So I don't, I don't know why that is, but uh, I did notice a lot of it, you know, like Morgan Stanley had a good quarter and they, they pulled back. Goldman Sachs had a good quarter. They pulled back. American Express was a big Friday though. Uh, they had a great quarter. Uh, so it'd be interesting. So I've been talking about being overbought and, and uh, you know, Bob Dickey had a great piece on Friday and he talked about new fears, you know, uh, I, th- I know you've heard about the new virus that's come out of China, uh, the coronavirus. And, um, you know, th- that did number on the markets back in, in 2014. The Ebola uh, virus uh, really did a, you know, had a short 10% correction type of scenario. And what he talks about, uh, you know, we all the worries we face daily in the stock markets, uh, which, which is good, by the way. You know, the more people worry, you know, we go up the wall of worry. That's positive. But it, it drives prices of stocks up. And I think what we've had is had a liquidity scenario where there's a lot of money coming into the market at the beginning of the year, bonuses, you know, new 401ks, you know, that type of thing. 
and it, it took the market up a lot. Now we are extended. Okay. And, uh, you know, the market follows its own pattern its own cycle, if we will. And I just see it as short term being extended. And I think people got to understand that. And so, you know, we had these, you know, we talked about uptrends and we had this uh, smaller uptrend where we were, had a series of higher lows and higher highs and we broke above that. Now that we're not above the bigger trend, but we had an 8% trend going there and uh, we broke above that. So uh, usually uh, when that occurs, it's a sharp correction. It's a sharp, fast correction. And look, uh, we're at it new highs. We're making it with less stocks. Uh, you know, it's been the same stocks almost every day going up and up and up. And some of those stocks are basically parabolic. Okay. Now I'm also noticing that some of the defensive stocks, I mentioned utilities and real estate investment trusts uh, have been breaking out. Healthcare has been breaking out. Procter & Gamble broke out. All right. So we're, we're starting to see people go to a more defensive strategy. Uh, Kimberly Clark, you know, those type of names have been breaking out. Now, I'm not re- recommending any of those. These are up quite a bit. So, you know, you want to buy them when they're down. Um, but look, so, so we've had some conflicting symbol, uh, signals here uh, where, where people have been running after some of the big names, you know, that momentum guys are chasing. And, and they'll be great until they're not. And when they're not, look out below. Um, and, and by the way, it's not so much that they're bad companies or anything like that. I just think they've come very far, very fast. I mean, there's some companies, one in particular, that's up like 112% in a year, and the earnings are the same. No growth in their earnings. But the momentum people got a hold of them, so the P.E. ratio doubled. So when they start looking like, you know, you can hang your hat on the on the chart, you got a problem. And um, I, I look at many of the short-term indicators, and they're very much an overbought territory right now. Uh, while the long-term trend remains bullish, you know, so I don't want you to get bearish. I just think that you got to be uh, getting ready for what we consider a hard, fast correction. All right. So look, one of the things I, I was worried about and I talked about is the 10 year uh, yield appears to be rolling over for another move lower, which could take us back to the previous low zone, could make it even to lower than that. Who knows? But it was in a nice triangle pattern. It broke down out of that tri- triangle pattern. I have copper breaking down. I have oil making a double top. So we're starting to see some things that are are not good for you know economically. So my question is, uh, and this is the hard part: uh, is this the stuff we were worried about this summer? Okay, that we're starting to see because look, when the Federal Reserve starts lowering rates, it takes about six months to get into the economy. When they stop taking money out of the economy, it takes about six months. So maybe this is the low, who knows? But what, look, what I'm suggesting is I think we'll, we'll have a something hard, fast, scare everybody to death. <laughs> uh, I'll get lots of phone calls. You know, the phone calls were coming from this week and the last couple of weeks where everybody's calling me, hey, can I buy this? Can I buy this? Should I buy this? Uh, and these are retirees are, you know, talking about Virgin Galactic, okay, you know, uh, which has gone straight up, by the way. I probably should have bought it for them. But the, the point is, you know, uh, it should be talking about dividend yields and, and uh, being a little bit more uh, conservative, okay? Uh, but the point is, is that, that two weeks from now, they'll probably be making the calls the other direction. Uh, so, look, when you start to see some of the things economically, uh, you know, start to worry a little bit. Look, you know, we had a triangle pattern in the semiconductors, uh, and that was one of the things I said back in October that I thought would lead the way, okay? You know, part of the melt-up. And, you know, semiconductors at that point were about 3,500, 3, I guess. They're about 4,400 now. That's a pretty big move. So, you know, you do that every quarter and uh, everybody would be happy out there. So there's, I think there's going to be a bit of a pullback and you just got to remember that. Remember, the dogs of the Dow, it's still a great idea for retirement. You can do this with, you know, a covered right strategy. You can do this with a leap strategy. You can do it with a whole bunch of stuff. But, you know, you take the five highest yielding uh, Dow stocks, and you take $100,000, let's say, split it $20,000 each. Then the next year, you take those names, get a long year, uh, a full year capital gain, long term capital gain, and you do the same thing. All right. Um, it, it's worked, folks. Uh, it's, it's worked big time for a long, long time, and it's a simple strategy. Uh, so if you'd like to talk about that, give me a call. So 
what will we do now? Well, look, I want to talk about one more thing. Gold. You know, gold broke out, came back, then reversed back up. So I think you want to polish up your gold ideas. And I've been saying that for a couple of weeks again. Um, I also think silver is a name, is a group that you have to be thinking about. Okay, silver. Uh, boy, I tell you, I, I'm liking some of the silver ETFs. I like some of the silver stocks, uh, but I'm just seeing a lot. So what would I do now? Well, uh, dividend growth can't be faked. Dividends can't be faked. So for those of you who retired the prime income list, if you get a four percent yield on the prime income list, you're going to take home more money because it gets taxed at Dividends are taxed at 15%. Your regular income may be 20, 25%. Okay. So your CDs, even if they yield the same amount as a, as a, as a dividend, you're going to get more coming after, you know, after the government takes their money, you're going to get more out of your, your, your income list. Okay. So prime income list is a good, good name for everybody. Dividend growth list for you people who are 40, 45, this is a great way. Uh, just reinvest the dividends, and uh, you, if you make the changes on the list, so, that's my problem. Some of my clients don't want to make the changes, don't want to add money, and and some of these names blow up like GE. Uh, a couple of people I, I called, they didn't want to get out of GE, and I thought that was not a good idea. But anyway, uh, the global best income ideas, this is uh, what we did was we looked at our, what our analysts said and our screen said. Um, our global investment stance for the year would be a good idea. And our Savvy Investing credit book. You need credit eventually, folks. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Don't forget, WHK1420. Go to a local podcast down to Tim Hayes. My webpage is right there. Everything's there. Have a great weekend. Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.